Welcome to Source Not Found, a podcast about the worst versions of your favorite things. Every other week, we cover IPs, franchises, or fandoms solely through their side projects, spinoffs, and sequels. Basically, anything except for the source material. My name is Bo Woodall, and I just keep saying to myself, what are you saying? And I'm Brandon June, and I'm just a skeleton henchman cruising around the forest on a motorcycle in 1852. Just vibing, you know? By the way, the reason I say, uh, what are you saying? The main character of the game that we played this episode says that 14 times in her dialogue. So that's what that's a reference to. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Man, okay. They are very, very clear with what they're saying. And she's still, what are you saying? I'm saying I'm a vampire. But what are you <laughs> saying? I'm saying I drink blood. But what are you saying? <sighs> It's obvious that this character is 12 years old. I'm surprised they didn't stick out to me more. That's funny. This week, we're covering Castlevania 64, the first 3D entry into the Castlevania franchise. This is the first Castlevania game that I've ever beaten. I've never played it before this. Like This was a whole new thing. For, I know that a lot of the things that we have covered in the past have been, Bo's never touched this, <laughs> this shit before. <laughs> Yeah, should we retitle the podcast to just shepherding Bo through a new yeah. uh, franchise experience? <laughs> Bo not found. Um, <laughs> yeah. But no, I've I've never really played Castlevania. I was a really big Metroid guy, so I know what like a Metroidvania is. I know how the games work. Mm -hmm. But I'd, I'd never really picked up the control. I mean, I played Symphony of the Night as a kid, but I never yeah. beat it. You know, I knew that you go through and you're a super cool vampire killer with a whip. And that's mm -hmm. that's about the my level of expertise. So we have the exact opposite experience because uh, I had this game growing up. I got it pretty soon after it came out, I want to say. I must have because it came out early in 1999. And from the magical date of 9999, September 9th, a day I will never forget, the launch of the Sega Dreamcast. From that day on, there was no more Nintendo 64 in my life. It was Sega Dreamcast or bus. So somewhere in that, you know... Eight or nine months there between Castlevania 64's release and the launch of the Dreamcast, I played through a portion of this game. The farthest I remember getting is the Hedge Maze, but then going through it again, like I had some memory about the Nitro stuff, so now I'm kind of confused. But definitely got as far as the Hedge Maze because I remember that scaring the shit out of me. It scared the shit out of me as a grown-ass man. But I had this game, and I remember playing it and really enjoying it, and then I had a friend come over to my house and we were playing it together. And my friend said, eh, this kind of sucks, actually. Like, you need to play the good Castlevania, Symphony of the Night. And he let me borrow that. And I remember, this is just dumb little idiot kid brain at its peak. Played through some of the game and was like, this looks like Super Nintendo. Mine is better. And I didn't really play more than like an hour because obviously 3D is better than 2D in my little brain. And uh, I had the better game. So it was some years later that I realized, no, actually, Symphony of the Night is like a perfect game. One of the most important games ever made. It's, um, it's a masterpiece. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. At the time, I just, yeah, I wasn't receptive to that. <laughs> well, it's like... Mine it's has like, more dimensions. It's like having Super Mario 64 and then someone being like, 
here, play Super Mario Brothers. You're like, uh, but this is a little pixel man. I have a yeah. whole. We're not I, even Super Mario Brothers, like Super Mario World, like yeah. the best of the. I mean, yeah. I, I think it's the best. That's maybe. It's very, debatable. very good. It, it is debatable. Yeah. Some people like three. I'm a world guy. Fair. But yeah, I, I don't know, man. I never. I love Symphony of the Night. I think it's great. I think it's a great game. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've, I've gone through that game multiple times. This, this was a whole new, whole new experience for me. So I mentioned 1999. This is a 1999 game. At least the U.S. release. Now, the Japanese release, this is one thing where Japan, I mean, they often, especially in this era, they were getting the games much earlier. Yeah, now, we were, now right? the world is smaller. Yeah. But not only do they usually get the games earlier than us, that sometimes they have the better name. And that is certainly the case with Castlevania 64. Really just Castlevania for us, right? We, we tack on right. the 64 just for clarity's sake, but it's just Castlevania. And it's kind of like a reimagining of the first game. But in Japanese, this game is called Akumajo Dracula Mokushiroku which basically translates to Devil Castle Dracula Apocalypse. And that, I gotta say, I'm, it's just, that's the better name. That absolutely cool slaps. <laughs> yeah. That title fucks. Yeah. Uh, a release of January 26th, 1999 for us. Oh, early. And Love that. You know what? Actually, I'm just looking at the dates here. No, we got the game first? No. Damn. We got this January 26th, 1999. Japan release was March 11th, 99. Wow. Just realized that. So the rare case, I mean, this does happen. And usually when it's, when we're getting it first, it's a matter of a couple of days, but interesting. So January 26th, 99, Castlevania 64. And then later that year. I was going to say, what, what else was around here? Like, what else do we have game wise? Well, so I have, I compiled a list of games released in 99. Now this list, I'm. I double checked it. I'm pretty sure this gets kind of tricky because if you just search by games released in 99, you get the the full selection of games released in both America and Japan in 1999. Right. And that's not exactly how things worked for us or them. Yeah. I tried to weed out the ones because at first I was like, wait a second. This isn't like lining up with my memory, but shit. Yeah. Shenmue didn't come out this year because I, I know when that came out. So yeah, Shen- Shenmue I went back through and was that game destroyed me. It was a whole another year. I was waiting for that. So. That's a 2000 game. So anyway, if I left something in here, if, if, if we get any like corrections on the other side of this, I, I did my due diligence, but you know. Yeah, don't I'm add me. <laughs> <laughs> you, no, please do. Which one please, did I get wrong? Please add but, me. <laughs> please. <laughs> um, as best as I can say it, this is what we got here in America in 1999. Age of Empires 2, Aliens vs. Predator, Ape Escape, Command and Conquer, Tiberian Sun, Crash Team Racing, Crazy Taxi, Donkey Kong 64, Driver, EverQuest, Final Fantasy VIII, Gran Turismo 2, Hydro Thunder, Legacy of Kane, Soul Reaver, MechWarrior 3, Omicron the Nomad Soul, Outcast, Planescape Torment, Pokemon Snap, Pokemon Pinball, a lot of Pokemon this year. Sure. Power Stone, Quake 3 Arena, Rayman 2 The Great Escape, Resident Evil 3 Nemesis, Samba Oof. de Amigo, Shadow Man, Silent Hill, Sonic Adventure, Spyro 2, Street Fighter 3 Third Strike, Siphon Filter, System Shock 2, Tomb Raider, The Last Revelation, Tony Hawk's Pro Skater, Toy Commander, Turok Rage Wars, Twisted Metal 4, Um Jammer Lammy, Vigilante 8, Second Offense, You Don't Know Jack, we also had the Dreamcast launch, like I mentioned, and the Neo Geo Pocket Color, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that Neopets also launched this year. Dude, that's a fucking hell of a year, man. Yeah, I mean, uh, that's not everything, of course. Right. I picked out the ones that I thought were most relevant. And then if anything in that list was like 
you were just like, what the fuck was that? That's just me being me. I'm Dimmer Lammy? Heck yes, dude. Yeah, it's like maybe, you know, that game is probably not as well known as I would like to think it is, but like, oh yeah, that or like Toy Commanders. Like, I put that in because, um... I'm in charge of this shit, and I get to well, shout out the game. You said Command and Conquer Tiberian Sun, and I was like, ooh, 13-year-old yeah. Bo was oh, yeah. hardcore oh, on man. those Tesla coils, the Tesla tanks. Baby, a lot of good stuff that year. So, uh, you know, you have your $35 in your pocket, because that's probably how much they cost at the time, because inflation is, is a bitch. Uh, what game are you getting? Well, see, I think... I'd have to check this. A lot of those N64 games were like coming out like 60 or 70, actually. Just insanely expensive. Wow. Those were games released in 1999. There's one other list I want to share real quick, which was the top selling games of this year, which didn't all release in 99. In fact, a lot of them did not. A lot of them released in 98. Well, in 1998, we had Pokemon Red and, and Blue. Oh, shit. Yeah. You can just imagine. That's number one, of course. How much do you think, what did Pokemon, the, the original suite of Pokemon games on Game Boy, earn in revenue in 1999? So in we're in that in next 99. year after release. Yeah. So the, I think the games for Game Boy were 35 bucks a piece because I had to save up for them. I was, a, I was 11 years old when it was released, which means I was the same age as Ash because I think Ash is an 11-year-old, right? Sounds about right, yeah. I'm going to say 50 million. $230 million. Holy crap. Adjusted for inflation, that's $400 million. We're almost at half a billion just a year in. Pokemon is, I mean, it still is just a worldwide sensation. So that took the top spot. Like, worthily so. Like, I still buy every one of those games when they come out. Um, I've fallen off, but uh, I have fond memories. But this was the era when I would have been some of those dollars, you know? And yeah. that's not so that's just those first those first games. We also have the spin-offs, right? That also number 3 and number 4 for this year were Pokémon Pinball and Pokémon Snap, which earned 52 million and 75 million respectively. So we are at over half a billion dollars in Pokémon games. God, and that's not even counting like Yellow came out I think the next year. I think Yellow's included in that. Yeah, it is. Red, blue and and yellow for that uh damn initial number. So yeah, those were I mean that's one, three, and four. So we also have at number two, Donkey Kong 64. At number five, Super Smash Brothers. Number six, Gran Turismo. Number seven, Driver. Number eight, Spyro the Dragon. Number nine, Final Fantasy VIII. And number yeah. 10, Frogger. Well, they had Frogger 64. This was the PlayStation release specifically. Oh, that's what, that's what I meant. The, the 3D Frogger. Yeah. I'm still surprised to see him there. Yeah. Go Frogger. Good, good <laughs> Just job, right bud. there with FF8. <laughs> get it. FF8 would have been my, my go-to, I think. I, I still love yeah, that I game mean, to this day. Oh, man, you don't tell me that's my favorite Final Fantasy. Um, hot take, but uh, I die it's on the hill It's not my time. favorite, but it's, it's certainly up there. I mean, they, yeah. they introduced a mini card game before The Witcher did. You know, like, oh, man. Triple Triad is my shit. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mentioned that date, 9999. That was also the release date of FF8, right? So yeah. I was focused elsewhere, but it's really telling that, like, no, I made time for FF8 even within the Dreamcast launch. Like later yeah. that year, I was playing FF8 and multiple times. I got a Dreamcast that year for Christmas. And it, oh, hell yeah. it broke me. But yeah. we're not talking about Dreamcast. We're not. We're talking about the other. Uh, so you did have options that year. Castlevania 64 was one of those options. It's an option that I went with. I can't remember if I, I feel like I got this one used. 
maybe a couple months after release. But uh, and that might explain why I never finished it because I got to a difficult point. Maybe and I didn't know how to progress through that hedge there maze. There are several the of those. Yeah, there are some uh, <laughs> some choke points for sure. <laughs> yeah, and then the new console came out, and then I just you know I wasn't doing N sixty four anymore. The wayside. I just yeah. never. Yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. And I never came back to it until now. It was this like really enjoyable. There were I had a lot of nostalgia for some of these areas because I spent a lot of time exploring them. But it's an it's a nostalgic experience that I never saw all the way through. Right until now. Sure. But I am so glad I did. So we 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 haven't even said, guys, this is a video game episode. So you know what that means. There's order to this episode. We go through narrative structure, gameplay, visuals, sound, fun factor, and then we score the whole thing out of 100. I, I know the past couple of episodes, we haven't had a lot of structure because it's been absolutely buck wild. But yeah, and also like we don't even try and do the numbers with some of these movies and nor should we because... Uh... I don't know. When you get to something like Blood Rain, are you just dealing with like, I don't know. It's decimal, a lot of negative it's numbers. It's decimal and, points yeah. at that point, I think. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Out of 10, you're like, you mean out of tenths of a point? <laughs> a lot of fractions. Sure. A lot of fractions. <laughs> a lot of fractions. Um, so I'm going to do a quick rundown of my impression opening this game. Get it. So... Dracula has been asleep for damn near a century. Two new heroes are rising to the call of Dracula waking up. One is uh, Reinhardt Schneider, the heir to the Belmont whip. Reinhardt Schneider is a vampire hunter. He's a vampire. He's going to find out. (laughs) (laughs) And then the other is Carrie Fernandez a young girl with recently awakened magical powers who watched her stepmother sacrifice herself to keep her safe from vampires. And now she's after the big bad dude as well. Mm -hmm. That's how this story begins. Dracula's waking up. He's been asleep for a century. The Belmonts put him down. And you've got Reinhardt and Carrie, who are both kind of the new generation of chosen warriors, going after a very sleepy Dracula man. That's it. I mean, nothing uh, too out of the ordinary. It's, yeah, it's nothing pretty too, much nothing. a Castlevania experience, right? Yeah, sure. Come to the castle, seek out Dracula. So I've got to ask you, um, did you go with the big buff whip boy or did you go with the kind of uh, 12-year-old Sailor Moon but in pastels? Because I went with the 12-year-old Sailor Moon with pastels. Oh, yeah. Carrie's my girl. Okay, cool. I want Carrie cool. and never look back. And I, I, I definitely played as both. As I did too. Kid. Yeah. yeah. Oh, I, I did this this time. Yeah. Yeah. On the other end of going through the whole thing as Carrie, I did play as Reinhardt for like 30, 45 minutes or so. And it's a very different experience, but I never, like, I don't regret my choice at all. Me oh, neither. Oh, man. I didn't remember this homing attack being so fucking good. She is OP as shit. Yeah. That homing attack, yeah. especially if you get the, okay, this will be in gameplay, but. Remind me when we get to gameplay to discuss power-ups and how they function. But we're focusing on narrative structure. Do we want to give our scores before we go into how the story is told through the game? I think that may be fair. Sure. Because the story is unlike any other game that we've covered so far. 
That's true. Let's throw our numbers out and then we justify why we did that. Yeah, right? the the story is told as you play the game, as opposed to with Freddy and Jason, with Friday the 13th and Nightmare on Elm Street, both of those games basically just give you a story up front and then you are a player in that story. You're not progressing sure. a story necessarily. You're just trying to get to the end of the story that's already been told. Sure. And in Mortal Kombat, it's nothing except for weird porno things. Yeah, I got nothing. I think, uh, yep, I think I've successfully repressed that. Good. Just a big old hole. Yeah. I had, I had a dream <laughs> about fucking the, oh God, good, awesome. I don't remember him either. Perfect. <laughs> so, but we're talking about a different game today. So for me, narrative, I gave it a nine. I gave it an 8.5. Hell yeah. This tells a story. It tells it well. Mm -hmm. And it gives you agency. Mm -hmm. Like this is, we are looking at this through like an N64 lens. I'm looking at this like a 1999 bow. I cannot think of another game at that time that had such drastically different choices that you could make to cause massive changes to your ending. Yes. I mean, it's not the first instance of that. I feel like the first one I remember as a kid was... uh chrono trigger and yeah. like whether or not you chose to like pick up the i don't remember what it is something at the festival if you pick up some unattended uh consumable item that yeah. comes back later when you go on trial things like that that just blew my mind as a kid but right it's not like this is a regular thing this is like pre mass effect era where we're really we're really thinking about our choices and they're not choice based so much as just uh, play based um, which i think is honestly for the time it's smarter yeah like you have to make smart choices through this game or you will get the bad ending, which I think we both mm -hmm. got. I know I, I got, got the bad ending. Yes. I got the bad ending. Yeah. yeah. Uh, for for the listeners at home, spoilers. I'm going to go ahead and give you the endings. Spoilers. We both got the bad ending. The bad ending is you kill the first form of Dracula. You run into Malice, cute little violin playing boy. And you guys basically ride off in a cart back to the village. And you promise to be Malice's bride when he grows up. Because he just he just demands it. Say you will be my bride. Yeah. And then after that, he's like, the contract has been bound. And I'm like, OK, <laughs> I have to research this. I, I just I never expected such malicious behavior from someone literally named Malice. Malice. <laughs> yeah. It's a different spelling, but, you know, <laughs> say it aloud once or twice and it's clear. If you use less than four moon and sun cards, which we'll get into in gameplay. If you use less than that and you finish the game in less than 10 in-game days, you get the good ending, which is apparently when you beat Dracula first time, the tower starts to fall. Dracula's castle begins to crumble around you. You fucking beat feet out of there. You run into Malice. Malice is Dracula. The whole time Malice has been the reawakened Dracula, the dude you killed that you thought was Dracula was just a lackey. Yeah. And so you have to face baby boy Malice, who turns into big boy Dracula, and then Vincent shows up to help you out a little bit, and then it ends with you putting flowers on your mother's grave after everything's been defeated. That is absolutely, that the difference in story is crazy to me. The mm. fact that they were actually willing to go, I am going to punish you narratively for being too slow. Yeah. That is some rough stuff. And not just have some arbitrary punishment. 
the fact that Vincent becomes an enemy because within the world, like you took too long, he went ahead of you and got into trouble and got and, turned and got turned. Brilliant. Yeah, really cool. It all it kind of functions. I mean, the thing about Symphony of the Night is what's so brilliant is when that castle flips upside down, right? You think you've hit the end of the game, and you, I mean, it's a, a it's a functioning ending to end it there, right? You don't have to go through the reverse castle, but if you do, you get the real ending. And I mean, it's just you got to do that because it's such brilliant level design to have this whole thing function upside down as well, right? Right. But um, I mean, this functions the same way where you'd have to play through the game again, but it encourages that. In preparing for our conversation today, I, I wanted to play this game again. I wanted to get the good ending. I want to play it again as, as Schneider, and I intend on doing so. I just didn't have enough time, really. Life gets right. in the way. But, so I didn't even really watch his playthrough because I fully intend on playing through that myself. And I didn't really... I read about the difference in endings because I feel like we needed to discuss Talk it, about but it. I want to get yeah. that ending myself. You know, yeah, I really want to see. I want to see how it works because this for the era, like we're looking at for listeners that haven't played this, but do play games and have played some N64 stuff. We are looking at Ocarina of Time style, like sprites and graphics and facial expressions and that sort of thing. That's what we're kind of looking at, right? Is that mm-hmm. is that is that fair? Yeah. Even with that, the fact that all the facial expressions are pretty unmoving, everything is very uh, polygonal. I think is probably a, a, a easy way of putting it. Yeah. Man, this shit is cinematic as hell. Yes. Like there are moments that are actually emotionally affecting. Absolutely. And that's that's the reason that that I gave this I mean to me an 8.5 is glowing. If you have a 9 or higher, we're looking at like Final Fantasy 7/8, you know, you're you're looking at like higher end Action adventure, Resident Evil, the original Resident Evil Four, maybe would probably get like a nine point five. Oh wow, okay. High, yeah, it depends on how how much you like your cheese, how cheesy you like your cheese. Right? Fair, but narratively, um, yeah, it it this hits, it hits, and it hits hard, and it hits good. It's always for me like that moment of actually putting the number on something. I I have the number I I feel about it, but then I like look at it like objectively, like a nine. Is it really like just one? number below a perfect narrative and to me i'm trying to get more into the i'm trying to look at it more like well if you look at the plot no it's just a vampire hunter goes to the castle and and defeats dracula and there's not a whole lot to it you meet some characters along the way you go to some interesting places but as a plot there's not a whole lot there but now that FromSoft has taken over everything right sure in terms of just we can't talk about something anymore without referring to this developer them having the success they had with the Dark Souls series and Elden Ring, Bloodborne, where we're now more willing to talk about game stories as told through just environmental design, maybe just like a little bit of lore sprinkled through like the item descriptions or whatever it is. And I find myself more willing to just judge something on that metric alone. So as a plot, no, maybe it's around like a seven. But the sense of place you get in all these environments, the overwhelming atmosphere, this just lonely horrifying world that you're wandering through that is mostly filled with uh well as rosa tells us when she's watering the roses with blood why have you no fear none but vampires and demons live here wandering carelessly in this place will soon cost you your life and you feel that yeah and those little momentary interactions that's what i love about these cutscenes. they are all so cinematic but not cinematic in a final fantasy fmv where we're conveying 
this grand world and spectacle and maybe a sense of narrative progression. It's just these momentary little interactions oh, and it's, events. It's, it's spotless from cinematic to from cutscene to gameplay. Like they don't remove you yes. at all. It's very it's very good. It's very good. It's something you maybe we have become more um, desensitized to it or just more it's more common now with like a triple A experience where just the seamless in and out of the cutscene into gameplay, right? Sure. It still always takes me aback just because I grew up in an era where, oh, when you go into cinematic zone, it's cut to black, wait for the loading, here's the FMV, cut to black again, listening to something whirring around a disc or whatever. We're on a cartridge here, but, you know, and then back to gameplay. And this, no, the camera positioning, right? It's not even a reorienting of the camera or anything. It's just you're in the cutscene, it plays out, everyone is in their proper positions, and now it's gameplay. And then suddenly the HUD is back. And you're like, yes. oh, oh, shit. All right. I guess this is a real thing now. And it's usually on the other side of like some serious shit. The it was telling that I was waiting for the cutscene in the villa when you come into the room with the mirror and the villager bursts in crying for help. Yeah. And it's yeah. the slow camera pan around as you're having this conversation where Carrie's like looking back over her shoulder and realizes his reflection is not in the mirror. Yeah. And it was so funny to to do this, to play this right after Blood Rain, because Blood Rain does the exact same shtick where like that first scene in the tavern. Right. And it's just nothing about that hits. It's just the most sloppy. It's sloppy. Nothing about it makes sense. There's nothing to it. I don't feel anything here where like this one as a kid, this blew my mind and like watching it as, as adult, an adult, like, it's just it so was well good. Done. And so, yes. so I just, I want to go back to something real fast because you said, you said that there's not much of a, like a plot here. Like, it is a vampire hunter going after a vampire. Mm -hmm. I do agree with that on a certain level. However, I have to really, really strongly come at you because there was so much more depth to this character and what was happening than I expected that blew me the fuck away. Like, I expected the little girl got a magic power. She's going after a vampire. Like, Vampire mm -hmm. Hunters Unite. It's a Castlevania game. That's what we do. But instead, come to find out, she was adopted by a woman after her parents died. The woman basically threw her body on top of her to save her from vampires, mm -hmm. gets murdered mm -hmm. by vampires. This girl's latent magical abilities show up right then and save her, basically. And now she is going through this not for her, but to keep the other children of the village safe. Mm -hmm. Like, this isn't the normal hero's journey of like, I need to, you know, gain power to get my family's name back, which I kind of like what I assume is going to happen with Reinhardt. Like, he's the heir to the Belmont whip, so he probably needs to put Dracula back down because he's a Belmont, quote unquote. But this little girl that we play as is doing this to keep other kids safe, even though she is also 12 and an orphan and has gone through so much trauma. Mm -hmm. Like, no, I totally agree. Yeah. Holy shit. You didn't have to do that. Nintendo Konami. Yeah. Konami did not have to do that to us, but they did. And it's so good. And every time she runs into an adult and again, I made light of the fact that she says so many times, what are you saying? Every time she hits and runs into an adult, their response to her is like, oh, little girl, go away. And she's like, mm -hmm. motherfucker, I have killed everything I've come across. 
she actually says to to actrice or whatever in that boss fight after it's over she's like i'm here to take on dracula did you really think you had a chance and i'm like Mm -hmm. this 12 year old is hard she is a badass absolutely i mean you've brought up great points i could talk positively about how this game tells story all day like through its very clever use of locations and characters and how they function within the world and the fact that they actually took the time to make all of the adults condescend to this 12 year old Mm -hmm. and the relationship that she kind of slowly forms with malice and the fact that you know something's up with that kid yeah like it's just it's good there's no like i did not expect a game from 99 to be that mind-blowing to me yeah i mean like i said i gave it a nine and i'm so glad you brought up those points because like i said i have nothing but good things to say about this narrative really i guess when i if i think about in terms of the complexity of the story it's a simple tale and that's all i really meant by that yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's not a it's not a negative point by any stretch it's just if you think about we've talked about like the final fantasies and the ocarina of times like just really stories with deep philosophical messages to convey the story of final fantasy 7 right we're talking about the life of the planet and on top of that we've got all of these deep rich character subplots their own individual narratives we've got like (laughs) confused identities you know what i what i mean right the 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 conflict between humanity and technology and the planet all of that just a big big themes and the theme here is aside from all the great character depth that we're seeing in just these little fragmentary moments when you really just get down to like what is the foundation the frame of this story it is get in kill the vampire get out yeah the directive is is very very clear the motivations yeah. are much more they're deeper than you expected. Like I expected sure. a shallow agree, puddle and mm-hmm. instead mm-hmm. I fell into a fucking lake. Yeah. And so that's why like I'm fine with, with simple stories. Like I've mentioned before in, in previous games, like is it enough to like get me invested in the task? And then what do you do with that? And with this, like you take that very simple, straightforward task and you imbue it with so much life and atmosphere and these, these scenes in the, the, the vampire, the villager becoming the vampire in front of the mirror, and God, what a vampire. The vampires in this game are frightening. They, they are. They scared me as a kid. They're monstrous. They're beastly. And, and there, there are some really, really good moments that, for me as a player, scared me but didn't seem to scare the character, who is a <laughs> 12-year-old Sailor Moon-looking girl, which also makes you kind of go, I'm almost 40. <laughs> not not yeah. sure how i feel about this one oh, i wouldn't be making some i wouldn't be making any of these jumps no no oh my god we're gonna get into that very shortly um <laughs> i so i i love what you're what you said like it is a very simple tale and i think that's why it scores so high for me is a simple tale told well will always always hit me harder than a complex story told all right Mm, mm -hmm, and -hmm. i feel like that's kind of what that's kind of what you get in in video games a lot you either have a complex story told in a passable manner or you have a universal simple story that becomes complex and is told well and i think they did a great job with that here i mean look at like mario and zelda like two of the biggest Nintendo franchises, two the biggest two Nintendo franchises outside of maybe Pokemon that there are, 
the story is to save the princess. Like mm-hmm. that, that's the story. That is, that is, it's a very simple tale, but every time it is told differently and in more like emotionally impactful ways. Right. What sets this one apart for me is, again, going back to the FromSoft thing, I just love settings. I, I love big, lonely worlds where every interaction and every character stands out that much more because they're just, they're this sudden, not even always friendly, but they feel like I'm inclined to feel friendly towards Vincent or Rosa or Renan. I don't really know the pronunciation on his name. We're going to go Jean Renan. Yeah, Renan. You know? They all have a hint of menace about them. They're all like, you know, even Vincent, he just like belittles you. I'm, I'm curious to see what the interaction is with, with yeah, Schneider. Yeah, with him and Schneider. Well, like the, the first time you get to the, the castle walls and the vampire shows up and he's like, you're going to die. My master is going to like rend your bones and blah, blah, blah. And you're like, mm-hmm. oh, no, this is actually kind of scary. Yeah. I did not see this coming. Yeah. Every everyone in this game is mysterious. They're elusive, vaguely they, threatening. <laughs> yeah, vaguely. Thre- well, the the thing is, the thing that really got me meeting Renon. So he's your merchant. Yeah, and I gotta say now, I mean, what I have do you a, buy? Like, a list of yeah. I mean, number one, of course. But Renon's on that list somewhere. I'd have yeah. to think through like what's his spot, but love him as a merchant, as a presence. He had this weird like death of a salesman, but a demon thing going on. <laughs> like he's very well dressed bespectacled and put on like just kind of well yeah you know. he's got places to be yeah he i mean he even he fucks off like you get to the you don't know it's your last chance to to purchase anything from him going up the clock tower and then you get to this like next area and he like comes in and says i'm off there's like money there's money to be made elsewhere there's wars afoot which i just a great another just a little unnecessary but very illustrative little tidbit little bit of you know just world building to give you a sense of the greater world outside of of the happenings here time and placing it but just like oh so my warning that like we're at the point of no return you warned me on the other side of the point of no return because he doesn't like say so now that i'm off is there any last thing you'd like to buy it's just like i'm out i hope you got what you needed last time (laughs) no more chicken and beef but the thing, so I didn't realize this. We talked, like, he seemed kind of menacing. Right. Did you look up what he does if you buy too much from him? If you spend 30,000 gold, he will wreck your shop. Yeah, he turns into a, a boss, like this winged he, monster He turns thing. into basically like a secondary Grim Reaper figure. One of the bosses you face as, as uh, Schneider is Death. Where we faced Actrice, Reinhardt would face Death. Apparently, uh, Renan and Death have the same move set, except for the fact that Renan has like better hit chance and a little bit more damage done. Like he is a full-on boss if you spend too much money on him. But you didn't spend too much money, dude. I barely spent any money on him. See, yeah, I, I didn't know about this. So just researching after the fact, like that's so cool. That's in, that's in place. And the more I thought about it, like how brilliant is that? Because basically. If you're playing as Carrie, the combat is not a challenge in this game. In fact, the biggest challenges were early on. I want to say in the Colosseum. I was going to say, we're, we're, we may have a discussion about that in gameplay a little bit. Yeah. Because there, there, are two, there are two pretty hard combats. The bull, yeah, the big monstrous the, bull. The undead bull 
I found the the final combat challenges to be not that difficult, right? Actrice and Dracula was I I finished Dracula and I was even like I paused at one point to eat a chicken and was like talking to because I stream this on Twitch live, so I was like talking to chat for like thirty seconds. I want to say even with that, it was like two and a half minutes to take him down on the first try. It was just nothing. Dracula was a a second phase fucking joke. Yeah, but um, I love that buried within this game because you can basically grind. You can go back through an area and just. Get the money you need and then buy unlimited beef and chicken and just brute force your way through anything and just make it, right? Make it that yeah. way if you needed to. I love that that's there, but I love that if you do too much of that, if you're like making it too easy on yourself, like oh, I'm just going to load myself up with meat and then not have to worry too much about combat. I want it to get good. I'll just get through and can eat my way to the finish. Well, you got a little surprise waiting for you if you do that. And I the, love the game, that that's there. That's really cool. The game does it twice. Really? Because they do it mm. with Renan and they do it with Vincent as well. Because he would not be a boss if you played the game fast enough. Right. There's just, I love when there's these systems buried and like you get a hint of them. And there's a lot of systems going on here, right? There's all that. Yeah. We talked about the day-night cycle. There's just so much to this game. More than it needed. I mean, we, we've talked about very ambitious games in the past. Mm-hmm. Mo- most of the games that we have played outside of uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. Nightmare on Elm Street was just fun because Rare knows what they're doing. But the other games have been very, very ambitious with what they're doing. This is a case where they put a lot of systems in play and they did a great job doing it. They use them. The only criticism I have is that the day-night cycle, I love it and it adds so much to the world and it is used for like a couple doors that only open at night or at day, vice versa. Um, the fact that like when you seek Vincent out, he might be snoozing in the bed yeah. <laughs> if you come yeah. in at night. Um, it did lead to, this is a moment, it's my most frustrated moment in the entire game because I felt like I knew the, the solution to the puzzle to get the key to where I needed to go. We needed to meet Rosa in the Rose Garden. The hint Man. we get is to meet her at dawn. I went in there at dawn on multiple days. I used the card to just fast forward to dawn. Dawn I mean, that's when you, that's when you. That's when you spent too much time, huh? That's probably I spent like you... 45 minutes running around the villa like, what am I missing here? And it's because she comes in at fucking 3 a.m., 3 a.m. 3 a.m. Yeah. In what world is 3 a.m. dawn? That, that's when you. <laughs> that's when you lose the good ending. Is just trying to find Rosa. That's that's what did it for me. I think. Ten in-game days yeah. trying to uh, find her. Just yeah. That's it. That and there was um coming into the castle initially the uh like out of the forest that first after that first boss. What I want to say like the castle walls and like the interior yeah, of the castle, castle walls, walls is just the inside next the drawbridge. Yeah. Um. I didn't realize there was a key hiding within one of the braziers and I was like I, going up and down that thing. And that's a, like a long so, so this is some, segment to get back to the top, right? This is a little inside baseball, I think, but I watched your Twitch stream and I watched you do that after I had already done it. And I was just, <laughs> okay. I was sitting there Schoenfried. going like, <laughs> like dude, dude, red key, red key, red key, red key right there. He just restarted. Oh no. Oh God. He went all the way back. Oh, no. Around and around we go. Yeah. I, I just wasn't seeing it. And I was like getting accustomed to like ignoring any drops from from things that weren't that weren't red jewels, because once I get the holy water with Carrie, like the holy water is the only thing you really want to get because the rest are like, um, what do I want to say? They're like throwable weapons. And since you have right. the homing blast, which is preferable to any of those, I went for the holy water every time. So I just like, oh, whatever that is, don't want it. It's like a knife or some shit. Didn't realize it was a key. I kept the axe so. for a lot of the game. Okay. I found that that was... Anyway, but 
just to say that one was on me. There were two points where I just like wandered aimlessly for a while. That was one of them. That's my fault. I feel like this one with the the dawn at three a.m. That's a that's a bad. That's move. on Konami. <laughs> yeah. That is that is one Maybe. of the things that kind of removed me from the narrative structure and why it kind of goes down. Why it's not a nine is the fact that the day night cycle didn't tell me any more of the story. Like that it was, was an, my, yeah. it was an engine that was present. Every other engine in this game tells story. Mm. This this was one that seemed to take a pretty big part of the game but didn't do anything to push it forward narratively except for give you a clock. Well, I mean, there is that, the, the things I just mentioned, the doors and, and the scene with Rosa, and there is the fact that the vampires come out at night and they're more powerful at night, right? So like, Right, and the, the skeletons come up in the day and the ghosts show up at night. Like, I, I, get, yeah. I get all that stuff. So I like that those systems. I think just generally, and I would love to know, I haven't done the research, I don't really know where to seek out this information, how much of that cart was being used, the cartridge, right? in terms of space. Because at the end of it, like, I just wanted more from this game. And it's not, a, it's, I'm not saying that to even like knock against the game. There's a lot here. I love the game so much that I wanted more of it. And I would love to have seen these systems at play for a greater length of time in more areas. I would love to have seen some more outdoor environments where the day-night cycle came into play a little bit more because we're inside a lot of it, right? The majority, yeah. So just there's so much good stuff here and I would love to have seen it iterated upon. And I'm really excited. I'm going to check out the... The sequel, the expansion of this game. Legacy of Darkness. Yeah, I'm really excited to get into that. I'm definitely going to be playing that soon. Um, which, that's, that came out the same year. Isn't it crazy? The, the pace, I mean, it's really horrible to think about because it always means like labor is being abused, which is yeah, a, a widespread problem. They're busting ass. Yeah. Yeah. We're becoming more aware of it culturally, like in recent years which is good. But uh, in this era, man, they were just cranking them out like back to back same year. I mean, this is the era of like what the Grand Theft Auto three Vice City San Andreas run was like 2001, 2002, 2004, I think just like almost back to back year by year. We talked yeah. about Final Fantasy. That's like 97, 99, 2000 for like seven, eight, nine. Just yeah. these huge, ambitious spectacles, the very height of like visual splendor and sound design just year by year. It's crazy. Yeah. Okay, so obviously we both loved the narrative of the story. Love so the narrative. We can't stop talking about it. Yeah, <laughs> but we're gonna make literally. Ourselves do let's so. <laughs> uh, let's go into gameplay. Yeah. Um, we have discussed how ambitious this game is. Yeah. There is a lot to be said about how great the gameplay is. What did you give it? Another nine, baby. Really? This this is where we're going to differ. I went with a seven. I think so. Yeah. I went with a seven, um, and let me tell you why. Before people just like jump down my, I'm just waiting for a vampire to show up in the corner of this room that I'm recording in. <laughs> well, we're doing the well. No, I mean you're in good company. This game is does not have a good reputation, right? It's been it's starting to be reformed in recent years. There's a lot of like counter narrative video essays I'm seeing out there now. But right. uh, here's the problem: it's not well regarded. Yeah, I played it on a 25 year old system with a 25 year old controller. I played this game with its original cartridge on an original N64. I played it on one of those, um, you might not have seen these. Maybe they're only available in Japan. There's this special edition N64 that fits inside a folder on your computer labeled emulator. Emulator? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Here's the thing. So I did not, I had a very different experience. I had the N64. Yeah. I had the controller. 
a buddy of mine, shout out Joey Bishop, had the cartridge and I requested to borrow it since we had talked about this game. I was going to emulate it until I saw that he had it. And he's like, yeah, man, take it for as long as you want. Check it out. It's a, re- it's a really cool game. And so I played it. Controllers are not expected to hold up after 25 years. They're just not. But even then, the gameplay was still a good time. Yeah, those, uh, and, like, I remember the rattly-ass analog stick on my N64 controller. Yeah, man, just after analog a few years. Stick. It was getting janky just a couple years on. I can't imagine now. Well, so there's <laughs> also, there's also this. With Reinhardt, it's mostly about combat, mm-hmm. the levels, as you progress. It's mostly combat mm-hmm. with very little platforming. With Carrie, it's a bunch of platforming with very little combat. Mm-hmm. Because she has that homing blast that is untouchable. Yeah. Platforming with an N64 controller from 1998 as a grown, almost 40-year-old man with slightly sweaty fingers because he's stressed out playing oh, this game sweaty on this one yeah dude they don't have rubberized control stick grips on n64 no. controllers these are hard plastic so my fingers are sliding everywhere and so is carrie yeah. until until i got my shit collected the first half of the game took me probably 15 hours i think it's only supposed to take you around five I think if I add up my Twitch streams, it's like around 10 hours that I did. And yeah, you just you imagine like I'm, I'm reading chat and I'm like taking some breaks. So like maybe I'm like nine, some change. I had to get to the point where after like 30 minutes of gameplay, I had to walk away because my hands were too sweaty and the control stick was sliding around my thumb. Yeah, I was getting pretty and, sweaty. And you cannot afford that with the way the platforming works. And with that comes the other 1.5 points that I knock off for the gameplay and that is the goddamn camera it's tricky there are three camera functions in this game you have well four actually you have normal which k <laughs> action camera uh-huh. battle camera and then boss camera will come in when you right. have a boss fight mm-hmm even when you're on active camera doing your platforms, if you're not moving, the camera will just circle you. Like, I'm trying mm-hmm. to line up for a jump. Yeah. And the worst is when, I think it was uh, the Tower of Science, um, you have to follow a wall really closely, and so the camera stays at your back, away from the wall a little bit, like a camera would. Mm-hmm. Problem is, I have to jump away from the wall. I cannot line up a jump. Yeah. With the camera there. Like if if I could have had some like a top down camera in certain areas, holy shit, I would have had a blast with the platforming parts. Mm-hmm. And maybe if the platforming was I, I didn't want it to be more forgiving because it was difficult in a very fun way. But man, man, I would have loved some of the platforming save points to be a little closer together. Like there, there are areas where I felt like I was playing like Dark Souls where I got the timing right. Like there was an area where if you just full send it, you just run and jump the whole way through. You never stop and look at like what's falling or anything. You get all the way through the level. Problem is, it took me an hour and a half to figure that out. Yeah, there's serious tension with like knowing that you're so far from the 
like you've made a lot of progress within like say the tower of sorcery right yeah you know that you have a lot you can kind of see way up above if you go into first person mode and look like there's the save point but you know all these interstitial platforms are there and you know that the, where the enemies are about to pop up and there's that tension of like getting a little bit farther each time the stress of like i've come so far what's next now i have to problem solve on this new set of platforms i'm almost there but I really, it's frustrating in the moment. As you mentioned, Dark Souls, like from soft games are frustrating in the moment. And on the other side of that, the, the sense of triumph that you get. Oh, I walked downstairs when I completed the game and felt like a god amongst men. The amount of video game acumen that I possess has never been seen in another man. Like, I, I felt <laughs> so good about seeing those end credits, even though I got the bad ending. Like... It was very, very satisfying, but there were also a couple of sections where I felt like it was the camera took fun away from me Mm. and the controls took fun away from me. And that's why I had to knock off a couple points. It still passed. Like it felt it was a the gameplay is good. It's fun. The combat is great, except for that giant bull. Um which I think we'll talk about bosses in a second and, and cover those yeah. pretty quick. But like the day-to-day level play of carry, the platforming, you need incense and chamomile and a very dry thumb. <laughs> yeah. I see. I was getting on the palms, really. That's where I was sweating up. Uh, the whole controller the could back. have just slipped out of my hand at any moment, yeah, I think, yeah, a few I, I just times. Needed to, I needed to powder down during this one get get like a rock climbers chalk bag yeah that's what i'm saying right (laughs) i i understand all those criticisms and i don't disagree with any of them the camera is frustrating there are some difficult platforming um but for me it's like jumping into the cold ocean you have to like steal yourself right and then you get in it's oh you know you're you just suck in the air your your body seizes up and it's not pleasant but when you're able to step outside of that or on the other side of it when you become acclimated to it or when you get out of the ocean and you're toweling off. Like, I was just reminded that I'm still alive. I have a body. I'm more aware of it. And it can feel these sensations that I get so used to not feeling. And I love when a game is able to do that for you a little bit. This, like, entertainment experience. I love when I feel my heart rate increase. When I feel, like, the tension in my shoulders and hands around the controller. I've done this 20 times. Here's 21. I'm going for it. I'm almost there. I hold my breath. I, you know, and I just, to, to pull that out of me, even if it is frustrating, even if I'm sick of doing it. I agree. I think maybe I am misconflating gameplay with fun factor because I agree with everything you just said and mm-hmm. it directly affects my fun factor score. Sure. Yeah. There's overlap for sure. And I, I will definitely say, like, the Tower of Sorcery, for those of you who haven't played, one, it's very difficult platforming. Two, it's a giant crystalline platforming section where platforms disappear and then reappear after a certain amount of time. Crystal guys will show up and knock you off of ledges, and there are switches to make things rise or lower. When I finished that level... I felt good at games. Right. Like it it wasn't like I've played some of the like quote unquote very difficult video. Like people say that Hollow Knight is a very hard game to beat. Love Hollow Knight. 
play it regularly. Hades is another one. Like, supposedly a very hard game, especially to beat with certain weapons. I've I've played those games, I've beaten those games, and I've had a very, very good time doing it. Mm-hmm. That 15-minute platforming section in the Tower of Sorcery made me feel good about playing a video game. Yeah. But it doesn't change the fact that there are other parts of the game where I was like, the gameplay is bad here. Hmm. Like, I I think my biggest thing is, so the platforming is one thing. The, the hitboxes on some of the platforms are wildly off based on, like, jump distance and how to, like, okay. when you hold yeah, on yeah, yeah. to the, the cliffside. Um, going into combat. Carrie does combat well. She has that homing thing. Yeah, you don't have to think about it. <laughs> Man, if you get both if you get both power-ups and all of a sudden you have the the bright green gold ball instead of the mm-hmm. the yellow or the blue, you blast through everything. Everything. It is Man, it's a good feeling. Um however, as soon as I fought the bone daddy in the first one, in the first boss fight, I knew that I was going to have a problem with gameplay. Not a problem, okay. but I knew it wasn't going to get a high score game or a perfect score gameplay for me because the mm-hmm. hitbox was ridiculous for when he could hit me. I felt like I was uh, five feet away from any of his limbs and it still knocked me down and knocked a quarter of my health away. And I'm like, oh, oh, all right. The bull was the same way. Uh, I think it's actually uh, an undead behemoth in in. You're right. Yeah, in, I didn't even know what to terms. call it. I was trying to remember. Okay, good. Um, yeah, it it I get wrecked it wrecked my shop for probably two hours until I until I actually went online and looked at the guide and it was like as soon as he starts running at you you just jump to the side he runs in a straight line and I'm like I've been trying that and so I had to for probably another hour try to figure out my timing for jumping to the side because I could be what looked like ten in feet game away from his face. And he'd still knock me back and then hit me with a yellow laser and blow my shit up. And I was like, he's quick. Man. But then other other times the hitboxes are perfect. Yeah, I think when you fight a vampire, it feels good. Everything, yeah, everything seems right. Like the hitboxes are perfect. The way they move too fast for your homing to uh, homing bullet is really cool. If they grab you and like turn like do the whole vamp thing that you have to cure later. It feels like that combat is awesome. It is a really, really good time. It is. You're, you're moving around each other, right? It's a dance. Yeah. And you just met. I and mean, that's another system we didn't talk about. You get vampired. If you yeah, get bitten you can by game a over. If you don't have a cure, yeah. uh, a cure ampule, you you lose the game. Right. You set off. You have a, basically a timer that you have to cure yourself by and you lose abilities. And I love that. I mean, that was always my thing with like playing Resident Evil. Even as a kid, I'm just like, wait, so if the zombies of this world bite somebody, that person turns into a zombie. I'm getting bitten all the time and like I'm fine. But I just use an herb, you know. I was gonna say I take it's I like, take a green, red, and yellow herb, and not only am I fine, but I get more life. <laughs> yeah. It's like, yeah, it just it's a game and that's just sometimes that's how it has to be. But the fact that like, no, they figured out a way to just add something to this to make it in this world work. It's on that really level. cool. I love it. It's really yeah. cool. Um those battles felt good. I feel like Aside from, I mean, I'm just going to call him the big old bastard bull. I mean, yeah. but yeah, uh, he, he, he sucked. That was the one where I'm just like, I w- that was the hardest boss for me. 
Um, because the one where I just felt like I was fumbling around constantly, I didn't really have a good rhythm about it. And yeah. it only took me a few tries. I, I just, I guess I got lucky after a few attempts, we sort of locked each other into this sort of circling around each other and we were kind of locked in this spiral and I just kept like oh, taking God, I would shots love that. It. Yeah. I don't know if, it, I don't know how easily it is to happen, but, uh, that, that did it. So Man, his, his yellow beam after he hit, mm-hmm. like there's, that's nasty. If he headbutts you and launches you into the air, you fall prone. Yes. And then he immediately launches uh-huh. the beam, and there's no dodging or jumping that you can do. No, you just It takes three stopped. quarters of your health. If you have not healed yourself right before that, you are absolutely toast. Yep. Yep. There were a few times um, that I flipped my lid facing facing the bull. <laughs> like there was there was yelling in my house, and and a lot of frustration, not because of the boss being difficult but because of the fact that i felt like i was doing the correct things but the game wasn't letting me do them and that's and then you know that kind of shows up in in my score for gameplay did you feel like it was just some bullshit sorry low-hanging fruit i felt very cowed by it (laughs) um yeah but you know so this is a point i wanted to mention wait hang on i want to keep milking this (laughs) <laughs> fuck <laughs> i am horny for bull jokes i was about to make you you, you beat me to it <laughs> i was uh, like how do i I'm, how do i segue into being horned up about something all right i, I am i am so sorry all right so aside from that like we mentioned combat really isn't a challenge when you're playing as carrie and i love that as a concept usually in castlevania I mean, the, the castle itself is always a bit of an antagonistic presence, right? Right. You are within Dracula's castle. It's, I mean, the setting is a big part of this. But to me, it was always, you're going through the castle, fighting enemies, and that is really what I'm fighting against. Enemies within this castle. This is the first time where I felt like the enemies are just more of the place setting. Really, the antagonist here is the castle itself. Absolutely. I'm fighting 100% Dracula's agree. castle. Because of the platforming, because of what really was giving me the most frustration and uh, was serving as the biggest challenge. It was always platforming. It was platforms, clock tower gears, Mm. things like that, jumping across gaps. And like the castle itself, because I mean, Dracula, we mentioned, is it just an utter joke? It's the absolute trash to Dracula is the real challenge. Vincent was harder than Dracula with his weird unholy water throwing and, and stuff. I think Dracula was maybe the easiest boss, aside from like that initial big old skeleton. Um, one of the easiest encounters in the entire game, which is just yeah. wild. But I just love the inversion. And I love that we, like, we played enough of Reinhardt to know, like, oh, and then there, it's the flip. It's, no, combat's the challenge, and we're going to have a little right. bit less on the platforming side. And I love that there are these two, not even just like your own gameplay style and what it's going to require of you, but like they actually take different routes through the game through the castle yeah you're going to meet different people along the way there's just so much replay value here yeah i agree and i i do want to mention before we move on to visuals i do want to mention one more combat situation that i thought was so incredibly well done and fun that i will probably it may be one of my favorite boss fights i've ever done in a video game especially like retro game recently and actrice Mm-hmm. is a fun fucking boss fight it is she is great she brings like crystal sh- like shields around her that you have to shoot down before you can even cause damage 
and the entire time, she's also throwing spells at you as well as summoning crystals from the ground to spike your shit. So you have to constantly move as well as aim for the right color crystal to blow her shit up. It is so good. Just the sense of you're in constant movement, like you said. You're circling around her at all times, strafing from side to side, and you can, like, you blow up one of the crystals that's surrounding her as a barrier, and they give you your window, and then you have to now follow that up with another attack to get her... Oh, you did that? I just hit the pink crystal, and it blew up all of her crystals, and then ran forward and hit her with an axe, and then kept kept booking... It was... Oh, damn. Man, it was really good. I had a blast in that fight. Was I missing the pink, or maybe I was doing that and I'm misremembering, but most of what I'm remembering about the boss was, like, circling around, busting out a window, a hole in the crystals, and then, like, darting out of the way because she'd be summoning something in that spot to get me, and then, like, getting back as quick as possible and, like, taking a shot in through the window. Oh, see, I never stopped circling, and I'd Mm -hmm. wait until I got around to her purple, like, pink crystal, and then I'd launch my homing bullet then... When it hit the pink crystal, all of her crystals went down and she kind of got like stunned for a half second. And then I'd turn, hit her with an axe and then start running again and she'd summon everything back up. But it took me probably five or six circuits to realize me hitting her blue crystals made a small window that by the time I got around, I had one shot to hit her. And if I didn't hit her, she was going to grow it back. I guess I guess I was doing a bit of both. I was, uh, God, it I was, was doing so the crystals fucking cause, good, man. God, it was good. Getting in through those windows when you could do it, it was tough, but like yeah. it was so satisfying. Yeah. Because like, you'd have to get it and immediately be moving to dodge the whatever she's firing at you. And then the like, stars that she like, launched you? Slide yeah. back, do a quick turn, come back around and get in there right before because she's about to summon a crystal up to take its place, right? And block it back off again. Really fun. God, it was um, good. Yeah. There's some, there are some really good combat encounters. Great. I mean, just rewarding platforming, I guess I should say. And I guess the one thing you brought up that I agree with is the frustrating camera. But one thing I do want to say, we notice when the camera is not working well, it stands out. You're trying to line up, especially when you're carrying the nitro. I found like there was a section when you're coming back with the nitro to blow up the wall. And like during this very long trek down from like this top of this tower, you basically have to set it where you fight our bullfriend. You have to blow up this wall. You have to carry this nitro all the way down there and set it. If at any point during your trek down, you jump, fall off a ledge, or are hit by an enemy, you explode. Game over. So you're yeah, it was having it to dodge. Was difficult. It's a long trek. I mean, you're going through. They have this like. There's a series of encounters. Then there's this long, winding, very narrow pathway atop these like. What were they like? The dragon head sort of turret like enemies that shoot fire out at you from below. You're yeah. having to walk across this, and then you go through like a series of clock gears that you have to time just right. Um, a lot of that. It's going across that very narrow pathway where like the camera would often be facing at an angle that I didn't like. And I just sort of like felt it out like, oh, actually, if I start to like step two or three steps forward, it'll swing back around me. And then I can go out, continue on. And just like you get a sense of like how to feel it out and make the camera work for you. It's still a, it still takes time and you still got to yeah. play with it a little bit. But I yeah. found it was if you work with it, it'll be there for you. You just have to give it a time to like give it time to catch up with you again. I think but, I yeah, I, I was playing on with old hands and a mm-hmm. slippery controller and also trying to like work with my own visual ineptitude. Sure. And there were times where I, I could tell that the, the camera was functioning as well as it possibly could in the moment. But yeah. there are other times where I'm like, 
Oh. And that's the other thing I want to bring up. This is 1999. January 1999. Yep. So a game that was developed through 98, right? And earlier than that. I don't know how long it was in the cooker. But we're only a couple years out from Super Mario 64 and... Really, we are just in that first batch of, I mean, we're not far from like Tomb Raider and a bunch of other early 3D games. We're still trying to figure out how to navigate an environment like this, what it looks like, what you should be doing in this new kind of world. None of those games, if you return to them now, have a good camera. Have you played Super Mario 64 lately, right? (laughs) Right. Oh, man. Yeah, get ready to be fumbling around those C buttons a lot to try and get it somewhere man once i had the camp like that the up c button to realign the camera once i had that figured out when i could do it and how to do it man it made life easy yeah it it really it really made the game that's when the game took on a whole different level of fun for me so i kind of looked at it like "Eh, it's not great but it's very of the era and stacked against other things of the era how does it look and actually it's pretty good and in fact i was amazed at how well it worked i i was i tried to make note of when it was working right and i was very impressed when it did there are a lot of very narrow or contained interior environments where the camera actually you're not just busting into a bunch of walls like inside the villa there are these very narrow stairways these interstitial little rooms between the big more open areas and i found like when i went into those it almost for a second like oh are we going to like a uh what i want to say a fixed camera angle here like a resident evil style no, it's still a free-floating camera, but it, they pop it up and they almost anchor it on the ceiling. It still floats around you and follows you around, but they limit its movement and the, the change of orientation and perspective gives it the fixed camera angle feel. It gives you that sense of tension. Like there's a one staircase that's like, this is just RE Mansion vibes for sure. Yeah, yeah I got that too. But it's still the same camera and, like, and it's working and I can see where I need to go and I can navigate perfectly and... I was amazed because that's very difficult. Uh, just on this game is a technical marvel. The the fluid yeah. animations and the seamless we talked about in and out of the cutscenes and just where this camera works in places where it should be just like half clipping through a wall and doesn't. It's amazing. Um, I'm not gonna dismiss your experience like, and I was frustrated myself. But man, so for this a game this from actually goes directly. In, yeah. I think I think we're talking more about visuals now. Well, just how the camera impacts your gameplay experience. I kind of wanted to just like. Sure. But I, I think that, that does, it, that does move us individuals. And I think sure. I agree with Let's you 100%. Um, I actually scored this very high on visuals, despite the camera problems, because I thought the camera only affected my gameplay. It did not affect how I was being affected visually mm-hmm. by this mm-hmm. game. Mm-hmm. I gave this game an 8.5 visually. I gave it a nine, another nine. <laughs> I guess I'm doing the Herman Cain today. Nine, nine, nine. Damn, that's that's awesome. I mean, it's 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 hard to. We've talked so much about visuals in gameplay and in narrative yeah. structure. It's it's hard to cover right. much more than that. But I think I think we can both agree that this game, for its time and for its limitations, not not just like mostly technologically, but also like in comparison to other games of the era, it is an atmospheric masterpiece. Yeah. It is an absolute masterclass in artistic level design. I mean, there's no getting around it. N64 games, they're ugly. They are butt-ass ugly. Yeah. It was an ugly console. (laughs) Yeah. So I am judging this as a Nintendo 64 game. 
what are you working with? The hardware, the, like, yeah, blurry textures. That's that's par for the course. It's an N64 sure. game. What are they doing with that? And what they are man, what they manage to evoke, the atmosphere they are able to create, the way, I mean, it's like a Silent Hill thing, too, the usage of fog in the exterior environments, right? Silent Hill did this, too, right? We don't have a great draw distance, so just, like, pack in the fog. And actually, oh, this was just a way to get around this technical shortcoming, but no, that actually adds to the sense of atmosphere. I completely agree there's the there's only one thing so a game that would get a nine or higher for me is as close to perfection as you can get like ocarina of time is probably a 9.5 n64 game Mm -hmm. the reason that this hit me 0.5 less than what i wanted to give it was there are some lighting issues in late game that mm. drove me absolutely insane. But they were so brief and so, like, this could be a mistake that I was playing it on a, a pretty good-sized 4K TV. Like, this game is not meant to be played in those ratio aspects and in, in that level of, of, you know, depth. Mm-hmm. So, so maybe it was, um, maybe it, it was an issue with that. But there were a few moments where the lighting was so like I had the every light off in the room so I could get more of the feel and I still couldn't find the door without just walking across a wall and hitting the uh, the right C button. Mm, and that mm-hmm. that is the only instance of a visual moment in this game that I felt any sort of negative about. Yeah, I didn't I didn't really feel aside from just like, yeah, N64 is kind of ugly. And even then, like. No, I mean this. I mean, like you said, the vampires were scary. Like they, they scared me did as a kid. Scary. And just like I see why I was scared. Yeah, um, their use of like how you use the polygons that you got, right? Yeah, there's not a lot to work with. They're all used well. The textures are very descriptive. They're I think well the the Tower of Sorcery is the best example. Yeah, it is a crystalline level using very few colors, really. Like blues reds and yellows and that's it in this vast black abyss yeah and it is absolutely beautiful it's dynamic yeah shimmering right really really alive i loved it i loved it it's you know when i finish a twitch stream i usually you have your thumbnail right and i can go back through it it automatically generates a few for you but they're usually it's usually me making the most like derp face imaginable or like it's a menu or something they're not pulled from the greatest moments so I usually like just scrub through a bit of my video and like try and find visually arresting moments to, to put on the thumbnail. And there were just so many to choose from because there are so many varied and very beautiful and visually interesting environments in this game. And within, in between them, there's a lot of gray and just like muddy. There's the forest and like the interior castle walls. Yeah. To me, what I thought about playing this game was the idea of... The church stained glass window in, like, say, I don't know, the Middle Ages. Sure. We, in the modern world, are so desensitized to color and sound. It's everywhere. It's blaring at us on every screen. We walk outside. It's billboards. It's cars. Just inundated with color and sound. But to put yourself in the the shoes of a peasant fucking scratching for turnips in the gray. Sure. And that is your world. It's just like dirty tunics and shit and just gray, like English countryside. And then once a week, you go into this, the only space 
in your world that is filled with color. Stained vibrancy. glass windows and yeah. vibrancy, just filter the light coming in through the windows. And what that, that must have been a truly religious, transportive experience to be in this place, inundated with color and sound, right? And I just, I always go back to that as like, when does a media experience try and give me that sensation? And this does it because I was noticing like, at first, going through the forest, like, oh man, is this kind of going to be just a pretty bland game? Because it's a lot of just earth tones and muddy textures and fog. And it's very evocative and atmospheric, but, you know, it's not like pleasant to look at. And then it just like withholds from you for a while, several hours, because you're going through the castle walls. And then once you come up to that villa and you go into the villa for the first time, and it's the lush red carpets and the golden candelabras. And the light beams that actually come in through the windows that are modeled yeah. there, which is really nice. Like, oh, I really feel the lushness and like the uh, splendor of this place after having been in the gray outside. And it does this a few times when like, oh, now we're back in this like very mechanical sort of place. And oh, now we're in the Tower of Science. And I've always loved like just like 18th century or like just older generations science and what that looked like, like the lab kind of area in previous right. ages. It just it. It's such fertile ground for like interesting objects and like environmental creations and just things to exist. And there's a lot of that, right? And just constantly taking me through all these interesting places and really having them hit because the interstitial areas pull back from that. It's not just a constant inundation. I don't know if you meant to make this comparison, but one of the things visually that hit me the most was the stained glass men. Yeah. Yeah. There's no reason, great. no reason for them to put the work in that they did. Like I I don't remember what happened, but uh my game froze briefly. And a stained glass man was in the lower right corner of my or lower left corner of my TV screen. And he had a full facial expression with a bright orange mustache and these bright blue eyes. Like they had done a large amount of rendering on this man that no one would ever really see unless you really try to pay attention to it. And it's just, it's a little added beauty mm -hmm. that is uncalled for. And it just makes you feel something about this game that you don't expect to feel. And that's, that's what this game does. This game makes you feel things that you, makes you feel something when you don't expect to feel something from a video game of its kind. Yes, it it really it really fucked with me. If you really lay out like the it's it's not a big game. These areas really aren't that large, but they're just so uh, memorable. Yeah. And yeah, the, I mean, one other thing, just visually, the variation of enemies. We've talked a lot about the different types of enemies. Uh, we didn't talk about the, like the Cerberus dogs, but just that one, that last encounter, you go through a series of these dogs guarding these gates. You think you're done. You're on to the next gate. More dogs. And yeah. then when you think you're really done, you get the final encounter and the whole world goes to just black. And there's this entirely just dark screen encounter with this final Cerberus dog. That was so fucking cool. I loved yeah. that. Yeah, that was really cool. Oh, man. Just, yep. Nine so, visuals. I, I yeah, thought it was great. Really good time. Uh, sound. And I think this is so probably something we're both going to agree on. The music in this game fucks. Mm. It is so mm -hmm. good. So I'm going to ask you for your score. I already have mine in my head. Yeah. Well, I'll give you one guess based on what you've seen thus far. Is it also a nine? We got another nine, baby. Mine is also <laughs> a nine. 
Yeah. Mine is also a nine. Um, The soundtrack to this game would go on every Halloween playlist ever. It evokes exactly what it needs to. And there are times it's using some instruments that I... Did you listen to the end credits? I think it's also the 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 full intro theme. Mm-hmm. Um, there's marimba and hand drums. Yeah, and man, there's such a good timpani part that just slaps. Yeah, I listened back through the entire soundtrack uh, when I was compiling my notes. The main theme of this game kills. It's very very good. Mm-hmm. I also giggled once because in the Tower of Sorcery, it's this kind of like clinking crystalline music, which you would expect in a crystal tower. But then you also hear. And I'm like, Jason, is Jason here? Is Jason going to show up? It's funny you brought up the uh, little Jason tidbit there because there's the like the dungeon main theme. Which, maybe we should just play a little bit of this. Yeah, sure, hit it. Dude, everything about that song, everything about that song absolutely whips ass. I love it. I, it almost became unlistenable because at some point, someone in my Twitch stream said, like, is someone's cell phone alarm going off? And now I just, that little, like, the, the little kind of percussive, do, 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 I don't know do, if do, it, do, yeah, do, in the do, background, do, do. <laughs> it's like, oh my God, that is sort of like. <laughs> cell phone alarm vibes but it's it, great there's there's so many different multicultural instrumentations going along and mm-hmm. the like i oh, just i fucking love it it's so good it is an outlier to me though the thing is there were a couple of tracks that like when i thought about the music oh i love that one that was really memorable really enjoyable i could see myself listening to it outside of the game but mostly couldn't really like conjure up any of the specific tracks and i realized and this isn't a negative thing sometimes the music so perfectly recedes into the background and complements the world that it becomes so intertwined with that world that it doesn't really stand on its own it's not like oh this is a great i mean we talked about the nightmare on elm street i mean those just absolute banger of tracks right, right. but all those great tracks were just like good music on top of a, a fun game, and they fit well enough that it worked, that you didn't bat an eye at it. But it just felt like, this is the music, and now here is the game, and now here are the visuals. This is, no, this Everything sound, is together. Everything It's works. a holistic experience, yes. And a lot of the tracks, like if we could play one more, a lot of these tracks are not so much, I wouldn't really like find myself listening to it for fun. Like, some, like I'll put on the FF8 soundtrack and just listen to that. Sure, just it's great. enjoy it, right? It's not a, a standalone melody, but it so perfectly complements the time, like the, the place setting. Uh, there are a lot of like just mechanical sort of industrial sounds throughout, 
But what I really like are like the sort of haunting harpsichord organ, like some little flickering, like pluck strings drifting over top, you know, just like that kind of ambience. Like you are in Dracula's castle. Yeah. Um, so I think the best example of that that the uh, uh glockenspiel sure <laughs> i don't really know what some of the instrumentation is but it's all perfect god the, the glockenspiel mixed with the the kind of like piano run mm-hmm. man it's it's so good it's delightfully creepy yeah it just it perfectly fits it perfectly describes where it's, you are yeah it's Guys, I don't, I don't know if there's much more we can say about the sound other than it is exceptional. You just let it stand on its own, right? Yeah. To me, the 10 is... So there are two ways to think about this, I think. It's maybe the more Nightmare on Elm Street side of things where just awesome tracks. Yeah, just, just bangers just across hit. the board except for the last one. Right. But then if you think like, is it one with the world? Is it, could you almost say it's like diegetic and how well it complements that? Well, no, not really. But it's a great track. Then there's the, oh, you know, it's not like the most memorable tune, but it's just so perfectly descriptive of where you are that it does what it sets out to do. And on that metric, you can rate it very highly. Yeah. The perfect 10 is when it... When it's something that just stays in your head. The perfect 10 is, is doing both, which, yeah. which I think a lot of Final Fantasy tracks do, which is just, like I said, I can put that soundtrack on, not, not just eight, but just any number of Final Fantasy tracks and be like, oh man, Fisherman's Horizon. Yeah. This is just a great, peaceful tune. But also like, I can't listen to that song without visualizing myself. Blam Garden just like docked up against there and walking through that place in the sense, that setting. And that is just like a standalone track. It's memorable. You can find yourself whistling to it, listening to it, removed from the game. But also it so perfectly describes where you are and the sense of atmosphere you should have there. That's the perfect 10. So... The nine is like a lot of these tracks, like I said, they're, they do the job. They set out to do they perfectly, right? But would I put this soundtrack on regularly? No, it's not going to be in rotation. There are a couple of tracks I do really like. This will be a soundtrack I listen to during Halloween. Yeah. Like Final Fantasy, I can listen to some of those soundtracks just whenever I want to like write or, or mm-hmm, create mm-hmm. or do something. It's just, it's good music and it does evoke a lot of, both emotions and nostalgia and memories mm-hmm. and like yeah. sense memory. This is the first, I, I believe I may be wrong here. This is the first nine I've given since we started reviewing games. Damn. It really, really hit me in a good place. Um, so that's, yeah. that's what I got for sound. And now, now got. for now for the big boy fun factor. 9.5. I had a nine. Hell yeah. I this this game is so a fucking much blast. Fun. I loved it. It's crazy to think. I was just looking. I keep track of my uh, 
the games I played on the GG app, which anyone wants to follow me on there or be friends on there, look me up, Lejunebug. Um, trying to, I'm trying to get interest in the GG app. I love it. It's basically like a, a letterboxd or an IMDb kind of app for games, right? Keep track of what you played, give it a rating. Um, so I've played 43 games so far this year. Out of those 43, only six have been 2023 releases. So okay. the vast majority of the games I've played this year have been have retro been experiences. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there were a couple of games that maybe came out in the last couple of years, but mostly retro. And this is right at the top of the heap up there with yep. like Armored Core 3, I want to say. It's like some of the best experiences I've had this year. Oh, my God. I can't believe I didn't finish this as a kid. What a little dumb little idiot I was. Yeah, yeah. I, <laughs> like, I, I can just get to the hedge mage and <laughs> Jesus Christ. I cannot believe I was too busy playing Crash Bandicoot for the fifth time and did not play this game. Who needed a Dreamcast? No, but seriously, I needed that. Uh, no, 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 I needed but, that. It yeah, was a yeah, great yeah. system. I just, I've had, what have been my criticism so far in our conversation? Uh, the, uh, the dawn being at 3 a.m. And like, yeah, the camera was a little bit janky at times. And uh, yeah. I, I just, I, I want to reiterate, like, my gameplay was, yes, it was a seven. Um, but the story that this game told and the fact that I could walk away from a very, very frustrating level feeling like a champion, like feeling victorious, triumphant for doing something for 15 minutes, a 15 minute little platforming area that you walk away from. You're like, holy shit, that was incredible. I cannot believe I made that series of jumps finally. Mm-hmm. And seeing the characters interact as, you know, as infrequently as they do, because that's not what this game does, but finally beating that giant bull or walking up to Dracula and realize he is the biggest chump in the entire game. And this is this is how it ends. You, <laughs> a 12 year old girl with a homing missile, absolutely wrecking Dracula's shop like this was a really good time. The only. This is also a little a little peek behind the curtain. I didn't get a save cartridge for this game until late last week. So I had to beat this game for the recording today in less than nine days. I also have a full time job and do other stuff outside of play video games. This was the only video game I played all week. Mm -hmm. This was almost the only media consumption that I did all week. I still, even with that, I still can't score it less than a nine. Like, no. I had to do this relatively fast, relatively well. There was crunch time, and I fucking loved it. Like, yeah, there were some stressful moments where I'm like, oh, I'm not going to beat it in time. But, God, this game is fun. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play it again as, as Reinhardt, and it's probably going to take me, you know, months to do it. But... I mean, there's also part of me that really wants that good ending, and I, I don't know if I have the acumen to do that. I'm going to get it. I'm going to get that but good ending. God, it was it. a good fucking time, man. I even had a good time watching you play it on Twitch, and I'm not even doing it, and I know I'm going to have to do it. And even mm -hmm. then, I'm like, God, this game is cool. Right? It's so telling. You don't even need the number for me. That second, so I did this in two Twitch streams. Well, I think one was like four or five hours, and the next one was around six. Yeah. So that second Twitch stream was basically from everything after the hedge maze to the end of the game. A long chunk of time, long chunk of gameplay. 
a long session. It was a very frustrating set. Like that was the nitro section, right? Yeah, not to mention the the hardcore platforming stuff in the Tower of Sorcery and the Tower yeah, of exactly. Science. And the fact that I finished that game, rolled credits, and immediately started a game as Reinhardt. Yeah. And played for a little bit. And it's like, I would love to keep going, but it's like six hours. And I'm actually, I, I feel like my eyes are starting to like water, you know? You just, you can yeah. only stare at a screen for so long. Your thumb so, starts to but, feel a little itchy. Oh, man. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But, I mean, that's all you need to know because I don't really replay games a lot anymore. I did as a kid because you only have so many games. And like, oh, yeah, I've, right. I've played Shenmue 1 and 2. Like, I don't even know how many times, right? Or like Super Final Mario Fantasy Seven, yeah, eight for me is the one I've played through many times. So the fact that this game I actually want to play it again, yeah, is really telling because with the sheer number of games coming out just this year alone, it's crazy, and the stuff on my backlog, like I don't have time to be replaying something. Roll credits, yeah. move on. Generally, no, I'm going back for more. And I so I looked at my series like I just kept. Sometimes I keep always saying like publicly, like don't get hung up on the numbers, but then just to be completely transparent here, I do <laughs> still sure. think about it yeah, a lot. Absolutely. You know, cause it is like putting a definitive marker on something like this is what it is. So I do like wrestle with it a little bit. So like, oh man, is this really like a straight nine and nine, five game? Is it really up there with like the greatest games of all time? Am I nuts? So I decided to look at the paper of record which for me is Electronic Gaming Monthly. Sure. That I, was my shit. I was a Game Pro boy. Ooh. Yeah, I, I didn't like it either. Uh, I got Game Pro from time to time. I it left, right. I left right. Game Pro for uh, EGN, but I also had Toy Pro. Oh, I never had Toy Pro. Toy Pro was awesome. It was made yeah. by Wiz, uh, Wizard. I was going to say, is that the Wizard offshoot? Got it. Yeah, yeah. It was a really good I time. I remember that. But yeah, I once I had a PlayStation 2, I got EGN because they'd had the best writing and, and the best the best reporting. They did wild stuff. I mean, they just got like crazy with it. Not even just like in terms of their games coverage, which was just top tier. But for a while, they had that cartoonist. They did the Sue and Chan yeah. monthly yeah. full page, sometimes multiple page. And those were like really funny, well-drawn comic series about these two like sort of hapless game developers. Just they even had like they had a, a series like a brief period of time where they had onion articles within EGM. Yes. Where I remember the one was like video game characters speak out against spikes or something like that. And like there was like <laughs> sure. a press conference about right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Just like having fun with it, but just my favorite magazine. I did have some favorite like, you know, the Dreamcast magazine that came with the demo disc or, or whatever. For anyone who didn't like isn't around our age or like maybe at least anyone who's younger than us that didn't come up in the time of just the heyday. It was anywhere, just like the local grocery store had a whole aisle of video game magazines. It was just an embarrassment of riches. Yeah, you guys, you know, a lot of listeners know about like IGN or Polygon or something like that. Imagine that in print, but about 16 to 20 different magazines on shelf. And it's wild that like the economy supported, like I grew up in a very rural place and just like going to the local food line. And yeah, we got EGM, GamePro, Game Informer, Nintendo Power, official PlayStation magazine, unofficial PlayStation magazine. <laughs> just yeah. Like, uh, just the P- PSM, the pl- just PlayStation magazine. There were three yeah. separate PlayStation magazines, official, unofficial, and PlayStation magazine. What a time to be alive. I still... You know, they've got all these archived, like archive.org. And I still find myself, every once in a while, just like, I feel like reading an old EGM. And I'll go seek one out and read through it. I just love it. Um, 
peak nostalgia for me. So, the review crew, what did they have to say? I guess I'll just give you, usually, if anyone doesn't remember the layout of EGM, in this era, they had like the sort of vertical columns. They usually had about like three to four per page. And then the reviews like kind of squashed in that vertical column with like the over, uh, what do I say, like the overlay of the numerical score. So just top to bottom, it's nine, nine, eight, nine from the four reviewers. So I felt validated. Yeah, we're right there. Um, let's, uh, let's pick out who's a favorite reviewer of ours. How about Dan Sue? Old shoe. We love shoe, don't we? Sure. I love shoe. All right. Dan Sue's review. Shoe's review. While I'm sad to see the 2D side-scrolling days of this series go bye-bye, the high quality of this title makes the transition to 3D an easy one. N64's Castlevania may disappoint some of you, without regard to the 2D, 3D thing. Unlike Symphony of the Night, it is lighter on combat and collecting items. The emphasis instead is placed on 3D platform gameplay. The result? This Castlevania plays more like a gothic mix of Tomb Raider and Mario 64 than, well, Castlevania. Is that necessarily bad? As you can tell by my score, no. Castlevania is a work of art. Many people may dismiss it fairly quickly, as the first few stages are fairly boring. But trust me when I say the game gets really good after the first few hours. Once you get into the main castle, you'll find huge, sprawling levels with great original gameplay ideas sprinkled throughout. All this goodness, however, doesn't come without several catches. A lack of a map hurts in some areas. The camera angles are really shabby as well. But worst is the jumping around platform part of the game. You will miss jumps, you will fall to your death, you will curse Konami over and over. Despite these frustrating moments, I still found myself glued to my N64. Castlevania just offers so much, including a second character's quest with new stages. Best feature? Kick-ass game design, music. Worst feature? Frustrating platform gameplay, camera, and then they break it down to the bottom, visuals 8, sound 8, ingenuity 7, replay 7. Yeah. I mean, I, I would put replay a little bit higher since you have a secondary character for a whole new yeah. like quest line. But and I put both of my visuals and sound higher than an eight, you know. But uh, yeah. high scores should just make me remember and make me realize that it's something we all need to be reminded of. The internet, you guys, the internet ain't real life. And the things that people say on there, sometimes they're wrong. Yeah, a lot of people say that this is the worst entry in Castlevania, and I, I don't have a lot of experience in Castlevania, but this was a really, really good time. So, two things. One, our score. Yeah. 87.5 out of 100. Ooh, almost got that A. Almost got that A. Yeah, that's my bad. But, <laughs> no, I mean, but yeah. that, is, that is unquestionably our highest score to date. Uh, we may, we have found our ceiling. We have our floor. We have our ceiling. The other important thing is, do we suggest people source this? And unquestionably, if this yeah. is if this is what people think is the worst, holy shit, you are in for a bountiful journey of joy. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, su I suggest playing this game. I suggest playing anything involving Castlevania based on this game. Yeah. I, and God, I, it's a good time. I don't really have much more experience than you do, to be honest. I had this game. I've played through Symphony of the Night a few times. Um, I've dabbled in the NES ones. I played through Rondo of Blood. That's about it. So, like, it's a long-running series. There's a lot more for me to explore. I need to properly source it myself. But, uh, yeah, source this one.
Definitely. This is very sourceable. And I just, we, y'all, we deserved this. We needed this. I needed a win, gang. This was a we good one. A win. This is a real and This good is one. turning into like sort of watch us struggle through bad experiences a little and bit. Then, and then suddenly we get this little gem. This yeah. little, this lovely little caress of wonderful game. <laughs> Just oh, perfectly so sandwiched good. between the shittiest movie imaginable, Blood Rain, and what I hope is a better book than I'm assuming it will be. Because next up, Next up is Midnight Sun by Stephanie Meyer. November continues. Brandon, you have no you have no experience with Twilight, right? Uh, it was on in the background once when I was somewhere, and I feel like I've seen some portion of the movie. I cool. remember playing baseball, playing baseball and shimmering, and something yeah. about get on my back like a spider monkey. Yep, is spider that a line? Yep, yeah, that is yeah, okay. That is hold on tight, spider Probably monkey. Everything that would have been meme fodder sticks out of my brain, but sure. Uh, I don't think I gave it any I, so we've not, attention. Neither of us have read the books, uh, so we're going to read the uh, the book from Edward's perspective. I guess that'll be next. That'll be our next episode to to end out November. Um, housekeeping stuff. Following it up with that, uh, as always, you can find us on Facebook under Source Not Found Podcast. I am pretty active, doing some pretty fun stuff over there. Uh, everything else is Source Not Found Podcast, with the exception of our Instagram, which is at Source Not Found Pod. Mm-hmm. Uh, Source Not Found Pod at gmail.com. For any, if you guys remember playing this game, please tell us. Like, tell us your favorite parts. Tell us what you remember. God, it's so good. Tell us what, what levels hit you the hardest sound wise. Those good, good tracks. Um, we're on Patreon. If you ever feel like you want to support us financially in any way, shape or form, that shout out tier is still held down strong by Jacob Swindell and Susie Daggs. Friendship. Uh, Brandon, it's personal plug for me. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to say it's still no vampir, right, bud? You're doing some, some crazy Twitch stuff, but I saw you're doing some Alan Wake too right now. So yeah, it is no vampir, but man, I've been waiting for Alan Wake too. And I had a hell of a Halloween week, let me tell you what. I mean, y'all know, we released two episodes that week. Somebody has to edit and mix those. Uh, that's, I'm your huckleberry. Uh, that that <laughs> no killed kidding. me. <laughs> so, that and just like being a teacher and doing like uh, just an onslaught of Halloween parties, I was just dead. So I didn't even get to play Alan Wake 2 when it came out. I'm just getting into it. Getting to it now. Um, so I'm enjoying that, and I'm going to just go back and forth between that. And I think up next is... Uh, Vampire the Masquerade Bloodlines. And maybe go back, do some more Castlevania. I still would like to do Legacy of Kane. But yeah, check me out on Twitch under Lejunebug. L-E-J-U-N-E-B-U-G. Got a link down in the show notes. So love to see ya. Yeah, and um, please feel free to email us, message us through Discord, Facebook, Instagram, whatever. Send us some IPs you want to hear us talk about, some video games you want us to play, movies you think we should see. Um, because, you know, apparently based on these past couple of months, I've been very sheltered. And as always, thank you so much for listening. And mm, thank you. Don't forget to check your toilet for those Freddy Kruegers and watch out for any white vans with clowns in them. <laughs>